After the planet Krypton exploded, Superman, Supergirl, and Crypto came to our world and made Earth their new home. And so you can imagine how grief-stricken they become. On the terrible day, Superman accidentally destroys the planet Earth. Superman, you are under arrest for destroying the planet Earth. <gasps> Those cosmic police consider Superman a criminal because he accidentally blew up Earth. I won't resist. I'll accept whatever punishment I've got coming for committing the most colossal blunder of my entire career. Welcome back to another episode of Supergirl Power Hour. I'm Corey, and with me, as always, is my unknown co-host, James. Streakerific. <laughs> uh, so, we have a few stories for you today. We are starting with Superman issue number 144, The Orphans of Space, written by Jerry Siegel, art by Al Plastino, with an April 1961 cover date, and the cover was drawn by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay. And the story opens with Supergirl and Crypto and Superman looking in on the bottle city of Kandor, and then at Superman's fancy light-up trouble monitor, which has five settings. I, I want to know how he picked these as his important emergencies, because there's a Kandor emergency, an outside-the-fortress emergency, a White House emergency, an interplanetary emergency, and a daily planet emergency. And any other emergency can go to hell. Yeah, yeah, like anywhere else on Earth, other than those five places, eh. Trouble in Belgium? Ah, 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 no. But God help you if you litter outside the Fortress of Solitude. Superman will erase your ass. Which is the light that's lit up, is the outside the Fortress light. And the reason is because a plane is about to land nearby. I don't know, maybe uh, maybe because there's a giant airplane marker. <laughs> yeah, Superman, I'm sorry, but if you don't want people to discover the location of your secret base, maybe remove the giant yellow key from plain sight. That is shaped like an arrow and pointing directly <laughs> at your fortress. God damn your exhibitionism, Superman. <laughs> is that enough that you have a giant U on your chest? So, Superman gets the idea to take all of the capes from nearby, so his, Supergirl's, and Crypto's, and use them as emergency flags so that the plane decides that they shouldn't land there because the ice is too thin. He then retrieves the capes and returns them to their owners and uh, gets back to what he was doing, which is tinkering with some random strange machine that he found in the middle of space. Superman, in his travels, occasionally just brings home stray space junk and decides to destroy it in front of his horrified cousin and dog. Seriously, <laughs> look look at the panel of Crypto when he's t holding that machine, just looking at Superman like, Well, Crypto's right, because immediately after that, the machine explodes, <laughs> and with it, the planet Earth. I just want to say, you have no idea how badly I wish that this is canonically what happened. That's just how Superman's story ends. 
He pushes a button on some junkie found in space and destroys the Earth. <laughs> I done goofed! As Earth explodes, Crypto has a forlorn look on his face and has a word balloon that says, Choke! Earth! Destroyed! While crying a single doggy tear. As they fly through the asteroid field that was formerly known as Earth, the fragments have turned green. And like kryptonite before it, Earthite now hurts the three remaining Kryptonians. And as Corey and I were discussing before the show, I think the biggest problem facing us in the real world is that we are all secretly suffering from Earthite poisoning. It's going to kill us all. Prolonged exposure over 70 or 80 years, instantly fatal. As Superman is inner monologuing about how much he regrets blowing up the Earth, <laughs> a flying saucer with space policemen come and arrest him. And he goes willingly. Yeah, Superman is so de dejected in this story. Like, whenever he's brought to the Space High Council and apparently interrogated by one of the Metaluna scientists from the Silent Earth, he just frowns and walks away after being found guilty and says... I'm ready to take my medicine. Which is the saddest thing I've ever heard Superman say. The medicine in question is that they have a special ray which will remove all of his superpowers. But it's important to point out, Superman, before this is revealed, asks, Well, how are you going to do this? You can only kill me with green kryptonite, which doesn't exist in the solar system. Superman was walking towards his execution, willingly. Well, I guess I have to die now, Kara. I am the greatest genocidal madman the universe has ever known. And Kara does uh, protest, which the High Council then says is colluding with a criminal and removes hers and Crypto's too. Which is some bullshit, because Crypto was just sitting there being a dog. <laughs> and then they exile them to a monster planet full of dinosaurs with superpowers. And for a while, they just kind of survive in this planet that time forgot, like like they're Riddick or something. Primarily, they survive by hiding in a cave. The Superman way. However, Crypto gets them all killed <laughs> by getting his leg stuck while he went out to play, and Supergirl goes to rescue him, but there is a lightning monster outside, and... Zaps Supergirl and Crypto into oblivion, leaving Superman the only survivor, but then they all wake up. What? Was this a dream? A hoax? An imaginary tale? Well, we'll find out, because the people of Kandor are summoning Superman with his trouble monitoring machine. And they tell him that it was red kryptonite that caused them to have a hallucination. And they saw it all happen on their Earth viewer. And what had happened is that while the capes were out as emergency flags, a red kryptonite dust storm hit, and the dust clung to their capes. So that when he brought them inside, it affected all three of them, and they all fell asleep and had the same dream, because red kryptonite affects every kryptonian the same if it's the same chunk of kryptonite. And as Superman and Supergirl exposit this... Crypto is just giving this look to the reader like, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Also, we should point out this episode's first instance of Surprise Kryptonite! And Superman saves the kryptonite dust and puts it on a shelf of other relics that caused him great pain. What I love about this story is 
it spent infinitely more time setting up and then explaining the nightmare scenario than it actually spent on the nightmare scenario. <laughs> like, the Earth is destroyed for, like, two pages. <laughs> and I should point out, on the bottom of the page is the banner, The Best Comics Are Still Ten Cents. Beginning DC Comics' long obsession with putting ads between the panels of their comics. Well, and the inside covers of some of these issues that we're talking about have a full-page ad proclaiming that DC Comics are still only 10 cents, because I guess at this point Marvel had gone up. What I love about that is that that's ad space you could use actually advertising something to keep the price 10 cents. The kid just plopped down the 10 cents to buy the comic. It doesn't need to be reminded that the comic he just bought only cost 10 cents. You're losing me, DC. And here's the thing. I know this for a fact because I have issue 285 of Action, which is, to my knowledge, the first issue of Action that was 12 cents. So that was just another cold Superman lie. Well, the inside front cover of that issue is an apology letter... <laughs> apologizing for the fact that they had to raise the price of their comics by two cents. Just a black and white photo of Mort Weisinger with an unlit stogie in his mouth saying, Look, kids, we done goofed here. I know we said seven months ago that we weren't going to raise the price of our comics, but eh. It's the real world, kids. What am I supposed to tell you? You think I want this pacemaker of mine? Sometimes you gotta just deal with the lumps life gives you. Anyway, on to the Superman. <laughs> uh, that brings us to Action Comics 275. Ma and Pa Kent adopt Supergirl. <laughs> written... <laughs> Seriously, old comics. Seriously. <laughs> Were you hoping all the kids who read the last Kent adoption story had all gotten drafted to Korea by now? <laughs> well, uh, Julie Swartz, uh, famed editor of the time, had a theory that every four or five years you had a brand new audience because people would grow out of reading comics. But even so, the Ma and Pa Kent adopt Supergirl issue was only like four months ago. So I'm going to be honest. We thought all the kids had suffered major brain injuries. We'd been lining the comics with lead paint for years. Anyway, it was written by Jerry Siegel again, art by Jim Mooney, published with a cover date of April 1961, and it opens with Supergirl busting into tears in the Fortress of Solitude as Superjerk reminds her that he had loving foster parents while he forces her to live at an orphanage. And he shows her this via a series of wax dummies recreating a happy memory from his childhood. Because Superman is just Ed Gein at this point. So Look, Linda, now we'll be a happy family forever. Here in the snow. To cheer her up, he looks at her and says, Cheer up. Someday when I feel you're ready, you too may have foster parents. <laughs> One day when you deserve that foster home. God. So, Supergirl, still really upset at having this rubbed in her face, goes home and goes to bed at the orphanage and decides to have a dream because she can force herself to have specific dreams. It's part of her superwoman's intuition. Of what life would have been like if she had been Jor-El and Lara's kid instead of Zor-El and Allura's kid. And the dream opens with 
Jor-El and Lara sending their daughter off to Earth like they sent their son. And the rocket crashes to Earth, almost identically to how it did in the original Superman story, except while Clark apparently just had a seatbelt, Super Baby Girl gets flung from the rocket and lands headfirst on a rock. Because even in her fantasies, Linda has to get the raw deal. <laughs> and she is indeed found by Mon Pa Kent. And in the exact same way that they adopted Superboy, they drop Supergirl off at an orphanage to return a few days later because it'll look less suspicious that way. Even in her dream, she cannot escape that damn orphanage. <laughs> so we get a bunch of super top feats, just like we got when Superboy was a baby. And we get a failed adoption because even in her dreams... Kara has failed adoptions as well. A girl? Sorry, I want a boy. Oh, I didn't know. I'll put her back in the freezer. And only one of those lines was made up, by the way. <laughs> but unlike her real life, she actually gets adopted by Ma and Pa Kent, who find out when they try to put a diaper on her that she's invulnerable. You would have think that they would have found that out when she flew headfirst into a rock. Then she lights a bonfire with her heat vision. And then, in by far the most impressive super feat I've seen, Linda skips jump rope so fast it catches on fire. She <laughs> is going to be queen bitch of the playground. Not only the rope catches fire, but so does her dress. Which gives Ma Kent an idea that the blanket that came from her rocket might not be damageable, which they test by lighting fire to the blue portions, stabbing the yellow portions with a pitchfork, and shooting a shotgun at the red. The buckshot then immediately deflects off of the cape and lunges itself into Pa Kent's chest. Linda wakes up in a cold sweat. Oh no, I dream goofed! Instead, Super Baby Girl helps Ma Kent sew it by cutting the thread and gets a toddler version of her Supergirl outfit and gets told that she must hide her identity from all the other kids. And Ma and Pa can't give little Linda the same dowdy wig that Clark gives adult Linda. Which, to be fair, is still a more reasonable disguise and will make him wear glasses he doesn't need for the rest of his life. One night during a freak Kansas hurricane, oh. Linda gets scared, which, to be honest, if... I lived through a hurricane in Kansas, I'd probably be terrified too. To which specifically she says, Me scared! And she destroys the house. Literally tears it down. Me sorry. Once again, why does Super Baby Girl always speak like an ape doing sign language? You know, Super Baby Boy also talked like this, and it is a constant gripe of John Wilson and Bob Fisher over at Giant Superman. I think they're just trying to imply that young Kryptonians are half-primate. So, Pa Kent says that they'll blame the hurricane on the destroyed house. They move to the city, or town, rather, because Smallville's not really a city. It's a city to them. Oh my god, roads! And their new next-door neighbor is... Dun-dun-dun! Lex Luthor. Kryptonite! <laughs> and across the street lives another boy Linda's age, young Bob Benson. And as the years go by, Linda develops a crush on Bob, and Lex develops a crush on Linda. 
and Linda won't give him the time of day, and Bob won't give Linda the time of day, but he does date her best friend, Lana. I just imagine at some point, while they're at a box social or something, Linda's like, I'm sorry, Lex, but I prefer a more rugged, bald man. He just walks into the bathroom and slowly begins shaving. The nightmare begins! So now that she's a teenager, Ma and Pa Kent tell her that she should operate in the world publicly as Supergirl. And she does admirably, saving an airship and delighting Germans, Frenchmen, and British alike. Who are all eating at the same cafe with the Eiffel Tower behind them. <laughs> you know those tourist traps where you can be in three states at once? I think it's like that. It's just a cafe where the French, English, and German borders just coalesce for one block. But England's an island, James. And on Terra, Florida is three times the size as our Florida. It's comic books, Corey. Anything's possible. <laughs> so, as she's operating as Supergirl, she notices a Kryptonian rocket falling from the sky. And we cut back to dreaming Linda, thinking, I know this is a dream. That must be the rocket that sent Crypto to Earth. But, lo and behold, as the dream resumes, it is not a super dog that comes out of the rocket. What is it, James? It's Squawky the Super Parrot. <laughs> My god, it's a parrot with the ability to fly! <laughs> Seriously, we get a, a robust uh, selection of Squawky Super antics in this story, and it's all just him doing the exact same things a regular parrot would do. I mean, he does break his cage. Have you seen an ornery parrot, Corey? I, I haven't. Anyway, as uh, Bob Benson is walking by, Ma Kent says, wouldn't he be astounded to know that Linda Kent is Supergirl? And as a walking plot device, Squawky starts repeating, Linda Kent is Supergirl. Future goofing their adopted daughter. Lex, being a nice guy without the TM, tells Bob that Linda likes him and that he should dance with her. And Bob, being a Class A jerk says that he would never do such a thing because she's a wallflower and he doesn't care who hears, which Linda with her super hearing does over here. And uh, we get one of my favorite panels of this story, which is a narration of what irony in real life young Lex Luthor was Superboy's foe who grew up to become Superman's greatest enemy. But in Supergirl's dream, Lex is a clean-cut, considerate youth. <laughs> What is this, a bizarro planet? Is this one of those issues? Also, I don't know if you picked up on this, Corey, but I'm obsessed with the fact that in that panel, the majority of the panel is just whited out gutter, but there is uh, the little vignette of Linda there mm -hmm. in the shape of Darkseid's Omega symbol. It's all his fault. I think that if this story had kept going and she hadn't have woken up, it would have led to her becoming the prodigy of Apocalypse. On Valentine's Day, Linda breaks down into tears because she only got one card and Lana Lang got loads of them. And Linda's one card... Which was apparently guest-drawn by Will Elder. Wanna know why you don't make boys flip? It's mainly because you are such a drip. Ain't it the truth? Ha ha! Anonymous. Damn it, you save your prankish antics for the gutters of Mad Magazine, Elder. Over the course of the next several days, Supergirl saves Bob Benson multiple times because he is as klutzy as Lois Lane will become in the future. And he develops a crush on Supergirl, but still won't give Linda Kent the time of day. And 
shrugs it off when Lex Luthor points out that Linda and Supergirl have similar voices. Then Squawky has to save the day because Linda's stuck in school and can't save a parachuter that's chute doesn't open. And Lex Luthor just happens to be getting out of school early because of a headache. Because of sudden, spontaneous hair loss. (laughs) So Lex watches Squawky break a tree limb and deduces immediately that it's a super parrot and then watches it fly in the open window in Linda Kent's house and overhears Squawky, again, being a walking plot device, say, Linda Kent is Supergirl, Squawk! Oh my god, that parrot can talk! (laughs) So again, Lex being a much nicer guy than any of the guys who actually claim that they're nice guys, including Superman, (laughs) decides, you know, Linda really likes Bob, and Bob really likes Supergirl, and I really like Linda, and Bob really hates Linda, so I'm gonna tell Bob that the girl that he won't give the time of day to is actually the girl that he wants to be with the most. And he goes and tells Bob this and gives him a compact full of uranium dust so that he can give it to Supergirl the next time she saves him and use a Geiger counter on Linda and determine that they are the same person. And without telling Linda that he knows that she's Supergirl, he just goes and proposes to her. (laughs) And... Linda uses her x-ray vision and super hearing to deduce that there is a Geiger counter in his box and figures out what Bob had done. And then, like a true champ, just turns him down and leaves him heartbroken on the step of the jewelry store. Then immediately wakes up and is like, yeah! (laughs) And wonders if she, uh... She may ever have any other weird dreams ever again. I hope not, Linda, because we have now had two stories in a row where you've had weird dreams, and to be honest, I would like a change of pace. Like My main takeaway from this story is just that, much like Mr. Burns, even Lex Luthor's acts of generosity eventually devolve into supervillain plots. Look, I'm trying to be really nice here, and that's why I'm giving you the seranium. And that leads us to Action Comics number 276. Uh, the story is The War Between Supergirl and the Superman Emergency Squad. And if you look up Silver Age in the dictionary, I'm pretty sure this cover will be the photo attached. Uh, it's a wonderful cover by Kurt Swan and Stan Kay with a bunch of tiny Superman throwing rocks and telephone poles at a giant Supergirl, which is amazing. You're wasting your time, Superman. Don't you know that sticks and stones can't harm a Supergirl? Meanwhile, like, at the very bottom of the screen, there's one tiny Superman looking over his shoulder, screaming like, Attack! Uh, Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at dcindexes.com did not have any writer information for this story. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was probably Jerry Siegel because he was doing most of the stories at this time, but we have no actual credit. I would say it definitely has a very Jerry Siegel feel to it. Yeah, it really does. The penciler for this issue was the all-time Superman great Wayne Boring, who is the one who really perfected the barrel-chested Superman. He's also the one who gave us the trademark running in space (laughs) flying pose of Superman. Part of the giant Superman drinking game is 
how many times he's running in space. And it was inked by traditional super inker Stan K. And on this podcast, I am known to uh, be a little harsh on these stories sometimes. But I will say, with full honesty, this story here is fun as hell. Yeah, there are a couple of those this episode that are really, really just a lot of fun. This one was published with a date of May 1961, and let's just get to it. The story begins with Superman arriving at the manor of millionaire philanthropist John Kiley, announcing to Lois that he is part of Kiley's Death Watch under orders of Perry White. Which for a second just had me thinking, like, what kind of sick is Perry White into? You have to make sure he doesn't leave that mansion alive, Clark. He knows too much. He's seen my pleasure, schooner. What it actually turns out to be is that Kylie is on his deathbed and doesn't have long to live. And since he's such a famous personality, Perry White wants to break the story of his death. So he's sending Lois and Clark to be there when he dies. Which sounds really creepy and ghoulish, but no, that's just what reporters had to do back then. It's kind of messed up. Yeah. So Kylie summons Clark Kent to talk privately. And Clark's like, well, I don't know about this, but okay. And so when they're in the room alone together, Kylie tells him that his dying wish is to know the secret identity of Superman. And he has a hunch. He believes that there's only one man who can possibly be Superman. And that's the one who looks just like Superman, but with a pair of glasses. Like, he says that he has spent a fortune on private investigators and detectives discovering the true identity of Superman. And all I can think is, they just saw him transform inside of a phone booth, didn't they? Like, he was just eating a hot dog. Huh? Oh my god, I got Mr. Kyle on the phone. He pulls Clark to his bed by his suit jacket and demands to know, because in a few seconds he'll be dead. And Clark inner monologues, you know, it is true. If I told him who I am, my secret would die with him. And he's been a good man all his life, always helping others, giving millions to charity. He deserves to see my great becoming. You know what? I'm going to make him a happy man on the last moments of his life on this earth. And he opens his shirt to reveal the symbol, and Kylie dies of shock right there. Not really. <laughs> he asks Superman to actually prove it, so Superman starts a fire with his heat vision and then flies Kylie's bed around the room, but not at super speed, because he doesn't want to make him dizzy. And you have no idea how badly I was hoping that after proving himself, Kylie would gently tug at Superman's cape and say, now that I've got you here, Superman, I want you to fulfill my one final request. I want you to crush me into diamond like I was a lump of coal. <laughs> well, no one would know but me. And he has been good all of his life. <laughs> he turns him into a single diamond and then gives it to Lois as an earring. Oh, why, Clark, you shouldn't have. Ha, 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 stupid Lois. If only she knew that that was a dead man on her ear. End. Then after he has actually proven that he is Superman, Kylie dies. And first, Clark goes to the Fortress of Solitude to visit Kandor so that we can get some exposition <laughs> about the Superman Emergency Squad, which are a bunch of Kandorians who dress themselves up like Superman with wigs and everything. Who are chosen specifically because they kind of resemble Superman. 
Because at that height, the facial resemblance is very important. Then he flies back to Metropolis to type up the story on Kylie's death, and that's when we cut back to Kylie, who wakes up from his death. What? It turns out Kylie was administered by his villainous Dr. Feelgood, a secret potion that would only mimic the appearance of death just long enough for him to learn the truth of Superman. The first thing he does is light a stogie. Light a bad guy stogie, and then his doctor presses a hidden switch, revealing a secret chamber where 60s bad dudes are hiding. <laughs> like, he just has gangsters stored in a closet somewhere, in yeah. case of supervillaining. And it turns out that Kylie is actually the leader of the anti-Superman gang. It's very important we say this exactly as it's said in the comic. Clark Kent is Superman, or I'm not the secret head of the anti-Superman gang. Which is how I'm ending all of my conversations from now on. So his doctor tells him, The fumes of the drug that I gave you to stop your heart can cause hallucinations. Ah, this was no hallucination. Clark Kent is a Superman. And now he's going to fall into my kryptonite trap. Which is a mine shaft that Kylie owned, where he has a giant chunk of surprise kryptonite and causes a cave-in because he knows that the Daily Planet will send their best reporter, Clark Kent, which is bull because Lois Lane. It's important that we know, Corey. Meanwhile, at John Kylie's funeral, his doctor attends next to Lois Lane in a morning Superman, as he cries out, What a hoax! Metropolis's finest citizens have come to pay their respects to the dead. If they only knew there's a dummy in that coffin, and that after he kills Superman, Kylie will start a new life as a South American millionaire. <laughs> Thanks for screaming your boss's entire evil plan in the middle of a dead silent funeral directly in front of a man with super hearing, you horse's ass! But I, I guess Superman was listening to the white stripes on his headphones because he's none the wiser. Because he shows up at the cave-in and is instantly caught in the surprise kryptonite trap. Oh. And as he grows weaker and weaker, he decides to try to get his robots. But is foiled because Kylie's thugs have... Anti-Superman robot equipment. <laughs> so the robots don't come and Superman starts to panic. So he summons the Kandorian Superman Emergency Squad. Because the people of Kandor monitor all of Clark Kent's comings and goings 24-7. Once again, Superman is the biggest exhibitionist in the DC Universe. <laughs> you think sometimes whenever he performs a great feat in the background, you just hear, Oh, thanks for donating. <laughs> And because we got introduced to them at the beginning of the story, we will refer to them as the Chekhov's Superman Emergency Squad. I'm sure he would approve. So they all dress in their costumes with their black hair. Uh, it is such an adorable scene. They hop into their little rocket ship. Then the rocket ship flies to the top of the bottle. Then they jump out of the bottle and they adhere to the side with little suction cups. And they use the suction cups to pop the cork out of the bottle. After getting hit with an enlarging spray that makes them a few inches tall because it can't make them full size. And upon jumping out of the bottle, they're hit by Earth's yellow sun, which gives them temporary Superman powers. And then they're off to save the day. 
<laughs> and they fly over to Midvale, where Supergirl is undressing in front of a robot yet again. And you just see this army of little Superman going, Supergirl, Supergirl, Superman is in trouble. Supergirl gets a brilliant idea and tells them to go get lead paint. And it's green, and she grabs more lead and grinds it into dust to make the lead paint even more leady. Thank God the shed at Midvale Orphanage is filled with this stuff. <laughs> so she spray paints the kryptonite with green lead paint so that it still looks like kryptonite. And the little Superman helped the big Superman to his feet. And even put his little Clark Kent press hat on him. Clark Kent gets out of the mineshaft. And Mr. Kylie is aghast because he should be dead because of the kryptonite. There's just this panel of the door opening up like it's King Tut's tomb. And just this solemn Clark Kent staring back at them. Then we get a little bit of exposition from the doctor again about how the drug does cause hallucinations. So that gives Clark an idea to force the cork out with his x-ray vision. That just never missing a chance to troll. So all of the gangsters now inhale the fumes, and he tells Linda to switch into her Linda Lee costume and pick some flowers, then tells her to undress as the Girl of Steel, then a bunch of tiny supermen carry a car away, and then throw boulders at the regular-sized Supergirl, and then they throw a telephone pole at her. So they're all thinking that they're having the weirdest acid trip of all time. They pass out, and you get a panel of one dude just laying on the ground with his eyes still open and his mouth agape. That dude's not coming back. <laughs> and so, as they're all passed out, Supergirl and the little Superman put everything back the way it was. They put the tree back in place, they put the telephone pole back in place, they return the car, and Linda puts back on her Linda Lee outfit and continues to pick flowers. That's when the crooks are arrested by Superman. And this is just such a bizarre story, and it's so much fun. I like to think that to this day, somewhere in a mental institution in a padded cell next to Psycho Pirate, is just one dude muttering to himself, Tiny Superman, an army of tiny Supermen. Uh, they were so tiny. So, little men of steel, little capes, and little yellow belts. So, little spit girls. That brings us to my favorite of the stories this week, and that is from Action Comics 277. And I will mention that the normal Supergirl story that was in 276, because this was actually the Superman story, was Supergirl's three Supergirlfriends, which we covered way back in episode four, which was our Legion Super Special. I don't think we're upsetting the delicate continuity too much. No, no. Uh, that brings us to Action Comics 277, which is the Battle of the Super Pets. Written by Siegel, drawn by Mooney, June 1961 cover date, and again a cover by Kurt Swan and Stan Kaye. So that makes three this month. And on the first page, we are treated to a lovely full-page spread of a monstrously sized Streaky the Supercat about to make war with a terrified normal-sized crypto. <laughs> and upon looking at this, all I could think of was... Our good friend Alex Cook from the Graphic Novelism <laughs> Podcast. Who is terrified of Streaky. I feel like this was made specifically to haunt his nightmares. So, Alex, if you're listening, you might want to avoid the show notes. You say that like I'm not going to send him the pictures just to haunt his dreams. Kill it! You have to kill it! So, 
we open with a surprise adoption. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Morgan have just signed Linda's adoption papers without her knowing it. That butthole. So she thinks to herself that they look nice, but Superman won't let her be adopted. So she's trying to think of ways out of getting adopted as her her sculpture professor is going and bragging her up by showing little figurines that she has carved out of soap, including an elephant, because there's nothing Kara likes more than abusing elephants. She's still really taken with that tiny elephant that she saw on Terra. And then he's bragging about how over the last few days she has been making a sculpture of him, and... In the cabinet is a very lifelike soap sculpture of the professor. God, does Supergirl have too much time on her hands? And as he pulls it out, the presumptive adoptive parents are aghast, and they say it's disgusting, and that Linda is a brat, and they will not adopt her because she has made it look like the teacher is mean and scowling. We even get a classic, well, I never. So Linda uses her x-ray vision to see outside that Crypto had just happened by and deduces that he had used his heat vision to melt the soap sculpture into a scowl. Oh, Crypto, I can always count on you to destroy beautiful works of art with your eyes. And prevent me from getting adopted. Thank you, Crypto. So she goes and thanks Crypto personally as Streaky watches nearby and is... Angry as all get out. Oh, what, she can't have other dude friends, Streaky? And he slinks off, all jealous and sad, and goes down to his basement, where he belongs, (laughs) and finds his ball of string, and starts batting at it, pretending that it's Crypto's face. And lo and behold, this is the ball of string that has his ex-Kryptonite in it. So, like the super catnip that it is, it turns him into super cat. Wowie, wow! Ring-a-ding-ding-ding! I feel great! Yahoo! Once again, I'm the terrificest, mightiest cat in the world. Where's Crypto? Let me at him! And Crypto was never seen again. That's not true, because the very next not-recap of Streaky's origin panel that we get is... Streaky diving headfirst into Crypto's kidneys. Just no chill whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get a panel that is just amazing. Just Streaky just going for his eyes. Kara holding her head in her hands. This is not happening. This is not happening. Superman showing up shocked. What's going on here? You think this makes me proud of you? And so Streaky and Crypto are separated by their owners, and Superman decides that the only answer to this is to have a Super Pet Olympics. That's your answer to everything, isn't it, Superman? A galactic tug of war. Which is the first event in the Super Pet Olympics. Um, He grabs a piece of chain and has them start tug-of-warring in the sky, and as they have the tug-of-war, neither of them wins because the chain breaks. And Crypto starts flying backwards and falls straight into a place where they're about to dig a new subway tunnel and just serendipitously falls perfectly so that he digs the tunnel himself by falling. And gets an official commendation from the mayor of Metropolis and 
Oh my god, Corey, can we talk about the mayor of Metropolis? <laughs> he looks like the penguin. This is the most mayoral mayor who has ever mayored. He's wearing a top hat. He is a dapper gentleman. No, he really looks like the Silver Age Penguin. He's got the purple pinstripey pants and everything. I think they may have just lifted a panel from a Batman comic from the time. It was just around the DC offices and they airbrushed out the nose. Yes, I, I think I like being the mayor of this town, Walk. And Streaky is appalled, because even when he's being clumsy, Crypto gets praise. Doesn't he know that's just the penguin? So Superman says he has to resume his patrol, but Supergirl should take these two hotheads to another planet where they can't cause accidental damage on Earth. So she finds a planet full of weird, bouncy creatures. Now these are horrifying, too. Like, think of the tiger rabbit from Terra. And mush that into a gumball. Kara says that she'll keep score and that they'll start this round of the Olympics with a diving contest. To which Streaky, agile as a cat, does all sorts of weird tricks before falling into the pool. Let's face it, in all modesty, I ain't just merely good. I'm, ah, terrific. How fancy can you get? Poor Crypto. I hope he doesn't drop dead with envy. Ha ha ha! Ah, the show-off. Before I hit the water, I'll dance the cha-cha-cha, wave my cave like a flag, then finish the dive while saluting with one ball. So, streaky. Like a butthole. <laughs> digs into the earth and digs a hole so that the lake drains into it behind him and drains out of where Crypto is diving, and he dives headfirst into rock. And breaks his f***ing neck. <laughs> Goofing neck, James. I was robbed by that double-crossing cat. Stop it, you two. I will end the contest right now. Streaky, be a good sport and fight fair. The sore head. Crypto's a rotten loser. No, Streaky, you're just a cheater. A murderous cheater, at that. <laughs> so six months later, after Crypto has been through extensive physical therapy, they decide to have a foot race. In which Crypto turns the tables and cheats on Streaky by using his super strength to rotate the planet in the opposite direction so that Streaky, as fast as he's running, remains in one place and then instantly turns around and beats Streaky to Supergirl. And because he did that, a nuclear warhead detonated the Phantom Zone, and now Zod is free. <laughs> so, the next Olympic event is pin the tail on the monster. There's what I believe is the dragon skeleton from the opening scenes of Star Wars A New Hope, just sitting here on this planet. So she wraps them in lead blindfolds so that they can't use their x-ray vision, and gives them each a tail, and Streaky easily pins the tail on the monster, and Crypto just wrecks havoc all over the place. And then Streaky and Crypto proceed to trip balls. Space balls! Well, and Kara, too, because all of a sudden the skeleton becomes a living bird monster, and Streaky gets terrified, and Kara is in shock, and Crypto just laughs. Look at that scurdy cat Trumbull. Idiot forgotten he's super. <laughs> but the joke is on Crypto because suddenly Streaky becomes a giant cat. Great guns! <laughs> and 
scares the bird monster away, and then immediately shrinks back down to normal size. Then a giant anthropomorphic golden bone scampers around, giggling. And then disappears. And then Kara falls through a hole in the ground. And... Surprise, Kryptonite! And Streaky, not being from the planet Krypton, is not affected by the surprise Kryptonite. So he flies down to save both Crypto and Supergirl, and then immediately loses his powers because his ex-Kryptonite catnip has worn off. Oh, no! Not to go down without a fight, Crypto decides to channel the spirit of his masters and tunnel through dirt. Well, and this is after Supergirl makes a wish that the Kryptonite can't hurt them anymore, and suddenly it stops hurting them. And what Crypto finds at the end of his tunnel is that this entire planet is the clubhouse for the interplanetary, multidimensional, practical Jokers Club, the president of which is Mr. Mixius Pitlick. Basically, in this distant planet, Mr. Mixius Pitlick is running his own private nine gag, and they've fallen right into his lull trap. Well, and the weird bouncy creature from earlier has discovered the control room, and we see a a control panel with a growth ray and a shrink ray and a skeleton creature gag and a funny bone gag and a magic wishing well gag. And Supergirl thinks, That tiny creature playing with the control board's levers unwittingly caused the pranks that shocked us. Yes, Kara, unwittingly. Look at that thing. That is the face of pure malevolent evil. At this point... Crypto and Streaky have finally made up. I guess Streaky isn't so bad. Or a cat. I'm beginning to like Crypto. Doggone it. But at that moment, another super pet who has been roving space for years passes by. Super Monkey, out of goof of nowhere. <laughs> and Supergirl is taken in by this adorable little monkey in a Superman cape and shirt. Why, it's Super Monkey. He stowed away in the rocket ship from Krypton, which brought Superman to Earth when he was a baby. Mmm, he's cute. He is not. God, another rival. And so Linda takes Streaky back to Earth in a little capsule of air. And Crypto goes off to romp in space as he is wont to do, but he is followed by his new stalker, the Super Monkey, of which he will never be rid ever again. He is doomed to be followed by Super Monkey forever. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Streaky silently plots the coming death of Super Monkey. <laughs> coming soon, the amazing sequel to this new feud. The end. Uh, uh, and that brings us to our next issue, which is Action Comics number 278, The Unknown Supergirl, written by Siegel, art by Mooney, July 1961. And not a whole lot of too much note happens in this issue, so we're mainly just going to focus on the end in which things get real. Yeah, essentially the gist of the story is that Superman tells Linda that he's about ready to announce her to the world, and she gets excited, but then he has to go off on an emergency in space and teleports himself to another dimension, and at just that moment, a ring of kryptonite dust encircles the planet, and Supergirl dives under the sea to meet up with her mermaid boyfriend, who shows her the great Egyptian monuments under the sea, in which we see a mermaid sphinx, which just looks embarrassed to even be there. And it's a mermaid sphinx with an intact nose. (sighs) 
can't even do their mermaid research. So Supergirl stops several crimes from under the sea by doing some fishing because a couple of crooks hidden a giant whale model. Why not? And then eventually the kryptonite dust dissipates, so she is able to come out of the ocean and get all excited because Superman's about to introduce her to the world. And here's where gets real. Supergirl has been rendered powerless. Just as Superman's going to introduce her to the world, she learns that she can't fly and she no longer feels super. And Superman deduces in the fortress that it's true that her powers have been permanently lost. My dear Supergirl, though you earned the right to public recognition, I can't announce your Supergirl if you aren't one anymore. Come, I'll return you to Midvale Orphanage. She can still have a family, Superman. So she sadly returns her robot to its hiding place. For the last time. And Superman uh, vows to determine what happen to her powers and try to restore them, and the last two panels really sum up the core of the character of Supergirl to me, and I, I say this, like, we joke a lot on this show, because the campiness of the Silver Age lends itself to that. So many robots. <laughs> but really, this last monologue by Kara epitomizes the thing I love most about the character. Sterling Gates said it the best when he said that Supergirl is a force of undying optimism in an increasingly cynical world. And that's more true now than it ever has been. And so the last monologue by Kara on these last two panels is, Crying won't help. I must face reality. Since I don't have superpowers, there's no longer any reason why I should avoid adoption. There's a whole new life ahead of me, with many, many changes. Will I always remain non-super? Will the future bring me happiness or heartbreak? And this is the start of a very long storyline, especially by Silver Age standards, where everything was compressed into little half-issue tidbits. This story is going to play out over the next several issues of Action Comics, and it's one of the first serialized Superman-related stories that they tried. And it was for Supergirl. Yeah, it's incredible. Which, that issue ends on a cliffhanger, so that brings us right to our next issue. Though, it doesn't exactly end with the cliffhanger. At the very end of the page, we have a gigantic advertisement for Tootsie Roll ice cream bars. Proud sponsor of Linda Lee's Sadness. Yeah, I kind of want a Tootsie Roll ice cream bar now. <laughs> I wish those were still around. That actually sounds really good. Right? So, our last issue this month is Supergirl's Secret Enemy. Written by Siegel, art by Mooney, uh, cover dated August 1961, and it's one of the most important issues that we've covered. We open with Linda sobbing about the recent events, which is fair. I'd be a broken mess if that stuff had happened to me, too. I don't even have Superman to blame. Everything's topsy-turvy. So, um, and then we cut to the bottle Cindy... Ugh. Bottle City of Candor, where we are introduced to Candorian scientist Les Lalar. Watching Supergirl with disdain. She hates Supergirl and envies her because she is a scientific genius, but everything she does pales in comparison to what Supergirl does. All right, Corey, can I please deliver this monologue? Yes, yes, please do, James. There's Supergirl fighting surface world crime while a kryptonite meteor ring encircling Earth. 
forces her to be exiled in undersea Atlantis. I envy and hate her. The honors that I, Lesla La, have earned in Candor as a scientific genius are as nothing compared to the acclaim the people of Earth will give Supergirl when they learn of her existence. And we know she's evil because she's wearing green. And she's the only other blonde in this universe. So she must be Supergirl's evil opposite. So she watches with disdain as Supergirl does all these feats, and then the kryptonite ring goes away, and Superman's about to introduce her on a special TV telecast. And that's when Lesla turns her super weapon, which has a kryptonite ray that temporarily strips Supergirl of all her powers, but she can use it whenever she wants, so it might as well be permanent. Oh no, I can't fly, Superman. Somehow I've lost all my superpowers. You're breaking my heart, you poor thing. Ha <laughs> ha. If Supergirl only knew that the ray I invented has robbed her of all her powers. But this is only the beginning. I've even more unpleasant surprises up my sleeve for Supergirl. But they'll come later. <laughs> Linda buckles down and remembers that, hey, she doesn't have to be Superman's secret weapon anymore. So this means that she can get adopted. And she doesn't have to mess with anything to stop from getting adopted, which is good because she doesn't have her superpowers to mess with adoptions anymore. And she'd have to burn the roast through human means. So we are introduced to Fred and Edna Danvers, who are instantly taken with with Linda Lee, and they adopt her and we are treated to the crazy hat adoption party that we always get. Yes, dejected and depowered. Linda has resigned herself to life as a Waldo. And we actually see Linda with a smile on her face. Like, this is a rare thing. And she bids a final adieu to her robot again. Should you ever need me, mistress, I'll be here in this hollow tree, waiting. Forever. And Fred mentions that the pigtails really aren't becoming of a girl her age, so he's going to take her to a beauty parlor tomorrow and... Get that change, and Linda panics, because, gasp, a beautician would have discovered the wig. So she actually does her hair herself and comes down the next morning in what was called the campus cuddle bun from previous issues when readers voted on it. So that must have been the one that won. My submission helped. (laughs) So Fred mentions that she looks super, and Linda winces at the word super, and Fred inner monologues about how he suspects that she has a terrible secret, but maybe she'll feel comfortable to talk to him about it someday. And then Supergirl's visited by her cousin, and in a rare bit of non-jerkiness, he actually comforts her and builds her a secret room. And upon seeing his adoptive teenage daughter embracing Superman in her bedroom in the middle of the night, he then pulls out his shotgun and chases him away. And then we cut to a panel with Streaky, who wonders if he'll ever get his powers back either, which Streaky's chances of that are pretty slim, since the ball of string that has the X-Kryptonite in it is buried in the uh, basement of the Midvale Orphanage, where he no longer lives. So, uh-oh, is this the end for Supercat? Oh, God, no. Alex can only hope. <laughs> Alex actually uh, removed his powers with his own anti-Kryptonian ray from his bottled city. (laughs) You're probably right. So then we cut to the next phase of Lesla Lar's dastardly plan. 
which is that she is going to swap bodies with Supergirl by shrinking her down and taking her place and brainwashing her with a brainwash helmet. The arch of it all. This is exactly what she does. She takes Linda's place on Earth, and because she hasn't used the ray on herself, she has superpowers, and we get a couple of pages of what Linda's up to when she believes that she is Les Lilar, and that is fighting giant Kryptonian space sharks. Because even undercover, Supergirl is awesome. And visiting the Hall of Heroes, where she sees statue of her uncle Jor-El and her cousin Superman, even though she doesn't know that that's who they are. And a mural of Brainiac and his beloved monkey wife. <laughs> uh, and that's in the Hall of Villains, as it shows him shrinking Candor and putting it in a bottle. And then in the Hall of Sleepers, where volunteers are placed into a state of suspended animation to be awakened a thousand years from now. Because I imagine uh, day-to-day life in Candor is pretty boring at this point. I mean, they've been in Superman's tool shed for about 20 years now. And when Leslilar returns to work in her government lab, she finds that her boss is being arrested for working on a Z-bomb and gets sentenced to the Phantom Zone, which horrifies Linda Lesla, and that's when we cut back to Lesla Lar stealing rocket plans. Oh no, I hope she's not selling them to the Reds. No, in fact, she's selling them to <gasps> Lex Luthor. Kryptonite? And she changes into Supergirl's costume and breaks Lex Luthor out of jail by using what, James? <laughs> A Lex Luthor mannequin. Oh, come now, James. That's not what it is. <laughs> it's a small plastic doll that has a nozzle for her to blow into so that it blows up to a life-size Lex Luthor doll. I was trying to make it less creepy. <laughs> so what, what I want to know is, day to day, do they just see Lex Luthor just lying limply as an inflatable blow-up doll in the corner of his jail cell and think, oh, that Luthor, model prisoner. No, because that's part of Lesla's plan, is that she'll only break him out at night. My version's funnier, though. It is, but I want to make sure our listeners know that each day at daybreak, she returns him to prison. <laughs> Which, you would think Lex would be really tired at daybreak and then want to sleep. But he can't, because he's forced to make license plates. And so, they do this for a few nights, and then Linda Lesla figures out what's going on through the super viewer and decides she's going to tell the Kandorian police officers so that they can tell Superman who can tell Earth lawmen. But Lesla sees it with her x-ray vision and decides, well, now it's time to switch back and return Linda to her rightful place and me to mine. So that's where we end, with Linda waking from a nightmare and Lesla dastardly plotting her next Scheme. Little fool, go on, sleep. When I'm good and ready, I'll transfer you back into Candor to lead your other life as Leslala. And me? <laughs> That's when I'll return to Earth again, and once again become Luthor's secret emergency weapon. Until I'm ready to be more than that. See the astounding events which take place in the next issue, when Linda's Earth existence is once again stolen by the insidious Lesalaw. And that's where we end this issue, and I just want to say that uh, 
this is a huge issue because it is the issue where she gets adopted and there is no 30-day trial period take back at the end. This is an issue where Supergirl is facing up against an honest-to-God supervillain. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, I'm reading a superhero comic all of a sudden. Like, there's a lot of stuff talked about how Kara doesn't have her own rogues gallery, but that's not entirely true. It's just nobody has done the research to go and pull these villains out of the Silver Age, because there are a few. Like, there's Les Lalar, and there's Lena Luthor, who will be uh, appearing on Supergirl this season, although in the comics, she's not a villain. We'll get to her in a few episodes. And I am counting down the days until we are introduced to Nastathalia, Nasty Luthor, the greatest comic book villain of all time. There are a few more in the Silver Age and a few in the Bronze Age. Reactron actually was taken out of Paul Kupperberg's run on the daring new adventures of Supergirl, so I'm hoping that the showrunners can start taking a little bit more out of her history, because one of the biggest complaints that I heard about Supergirl Season 1 is that she took all of Superman's supporting cast, which is a really dumb argument in my opinion, because... Yeah, she took a lot of his supporting cast, but you wouldn't be making the same argument if there were a Nightwing show and he had all of Batman's rogues. There's a lot of overlap there. I mean, like Supergirl's supporting cast is Superman's supporting cast. That's why they're the Superman family. And I do feel with the show no longer being on CBS and being on the CW now, we'll be a little less inclined to seeing just uh, Superman villains and aliens of the week. Because that always felt like a very CBS move. (laughs) God willing, all live wire all the time. That brings us to our super female segment. Dear Editor, I spotted a goof in the story Supergirl's three time trips. You have Supergirl saying, using the red and white threads from the British flag, I happen to know that the British flag is red and blue, not red and white. Other than that, the story was very good. (laughs) You goofed! The official Union flag of Great Britain is red, white, and blue. Consult the color plate of flags in your local library and see if you don't owe our art staff an apology. You know what? Steve! Steve! Don't look at me like that. From now on, make these comics 15 cents! These kids are getting uppity! I'm not nursing a peptic ulcer for these little punks to call bull goof on my research! I'm more time wising right now! <laughs> wow. Uh, Alright, well, until next time, I've been Corey. I've been James. You can find me on Twitter at CoreyMarie21. You can find the show on Twitter at SGirlPowerHour. And you can find me on Tumblr at FYSupergirl. And you can find me on many fine Pulp Podcast Network shows, including Graphic Novelism and Box Office Pulp, and Hercules vs. the Podcast, which will be returning at long last in the coming weeks. Oh my. In which I do the exact same thing I do here, but instead of being horrified by Superman, I'm horrified by Greek mythology. And you can check all of those podcasts out at pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. All right, it has been a pleasure, James, as always. Or I'm not the secret head of the anti-Superman gang.
And I was wrong. It appears that the first issue that has the 12 cent cover price is issue 283. So they apologized for a full three months. <laughs> Good for them. I mean, I don't know if they continue apologizing after that, but... Oh, c- apologizing in ads for comic subscriptions is a time-honored tradition. Like, Marvel was doing that in the late 80s. I don't think they stopped doing that until, like, early 90s. I just love the fact that they apologized for raising the price of a comic book. Because you would never get that now. Like, Marvel doesn't apologize when they raise the price from $3.99 to $4.99. Man, I got so bummed out the other day whenever I was doing my comicsology run, and I picked up two issues of Paper Girls and an issue of Giant Days, and I'd only spent five fifty. Like, wow, that would be an entire Marvel comic. Right? They can go to hell and die. DC holding the line at two ninety nine. This has been a Pulp Podcast production. Ah, hello there. I didn't hear you come in. My name is Cody Elft, but you've come to hear about the next dynamic podcast from the Pulp Podcast Network. I haven't personally listened to this new podcast, but as its producer, I am contractually obligated to inform you about how gosh darn fantastic it is. And boy is it. In life, the great hero Hercules faced 12 labors. He fought the Nemean Lion, the Lernean Hydra, the Cerberus, the Hellhound of Hades. He stole the girdle from Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. He even traded barbs with an animated James Woods, and his sucker punched the mighty Thor in the face. But now, he faces a greater challenge than all of those tests combined into one giant ball of challenge. Now, Herc must face off against his most challenging foe in Pulp Podcast Network's thrilling new show. Hercules versus the podcast. Hercules possessed a strength the world had never seen. Oh, Hercules, 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 Hercules. Hercules, Hercules deliver us from this curse. Hercules, Hercules, strongest man of No man is superior to Hercules. Agile as a cat.